Hi, I'm Kim Adamson and I'm on Bean Break with Blake. Indeed. Hi. <laughs> Indeed he is. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, uh, Kim, we'll just get straight into it. Who are you? Well, who am I? I'm, um, I'm someone who's been around in radio for um, about 50 years. Um, I started off, I'll give you the brief rundown, started off in 1970 at 4XO in Dunedin, virtually straight out of high school. Um, and then through a, a few years, moved around the country, went to Radio Waikato, uh, went back to 4XO, then went to um, Radio Avon in Christchurch. And most of these stations don't exist anymore, they've got. And then moved in the 1980s to Hauraki uh, in Auckland, and I've been in Auckland ever since, basically. So, um, obviously, your, I guess, big hit in the radio industry was being a part of Kim and Corbett. Yes. And what was the process leading up um, to getting there? Okay, so for me, it was an interesting one because I was not first cab off the rank, as you may think. Um, so, basically, I was approached uh, by uh, Larry Somerville and, um, to join More FM. This was in the early 90s. And... But what I later found out was that um, I was not the first choice. Doug Gold, who actually basically uh, set up the More FM group throughout the country, uh, was very keen on uh, Simon Barnett from Christchurch and Jeremy Corbett would be the two. You know, Actually, it would have been quite an interesting combination, I think. Um, but Simon didn't want to come up to Auckland. He was happy where he was in Christchurch. So I was then the next person. The reason being was... Corby had been my producer uh, when I was in a, another radio station, uh, Magic 91. And Corby was my producer for about a year there. So we obviously had um, a connection. And um, so we were thrown together, so to speak, in, in a new role. And, um, yeah, that's how it began, uh, the Kim and Corbett show. Do you prefer being one of the main people or do you prefer being behind the yeah. switchboard and everything? I, look, I prefer to be behind the scene. My my goal was never actually when I started in radio was never to be uh, up front. I liked being a producer or being a, a team player. Never really enjoyed being um, out in front of the microphone because I think it required um, bigger balls, if I could <laughs> say it, to, you know, to be out there to face people, to actually look at people and uh, and chat where it's great behind... Um, uh, a microphone where no one can see you on the radio. It's That, that was me, really. Mm. You and Corbett came up with some pretty iconic segments and sort of almost formed how modern radio looks and sounds. So how did you and Corbett come up with such interesting things like tosses or toot for loot? Toot for loot, yeah. Well, I think, um, A, we were lucky. We had a, um, um, a good producer with Paul Ego coming along, but that Paul came along after a few years. I think um, I think it's to do with just brainstorming. I think the idea was that we we sat down after the show and just thrashed around a few ideas and thought, hey, that'd be cool. Um, but also we had to think of um, the consequences of of doing silly things because when I worked with Blackie back in the in the eighties, we used to do these candid calls and um, you know ringing people up, having them on, doing silly things and. And in, in back then, the consequences, actually, we didn't think of. And there was some strange things happened, and we had to sort of apologize and go back. So I think when Corby and I got together, we at least I'd learned that um, whatever you do, there, has, there is a consequence. But, um, yeah, I think we were the first to do sort of what I'd consider reality radio, these crazy um, things. And it took us out of the studio 
out into the public, especially with tosses, especially going to people's homes and dumping sand in there or, you know, grabbing their um, their entire clothes and putting it in a wardrobe and blowing them up, <laughs> or dropping a car from a helicopter. It, you know, some silly things, really, yeah. Mm. People might look at some of these things in th- these days and think they're a bit old hat. How did you get permission to do them at the time, and do you think you'd be able to do that these days? <sighs> yeah, no, I don't think we could get away with some of the stuff we did. Um, I think we're a little bit more PC now. Back then, I think, you know, back then in the 90s, in, in so-called, in the 80s and 90s, radio, um, private radio was coming into its own, and it was leading the way. It was just doing um, things that were a little bit out of the ordinary, and I think we got away with it, but um, now we'd have to be a little bit, uh, a little bit more careful now. Do you think that's taken some of the magic away from radio? Well, I think our goal was always to entertain. And the thing was, we we, we came up with characters, we came up with people that um, were on the phone. There was also um, little um, series and things which we developed and played on air. So we were there to entertain people with our style of humour. Um, and radio, um, and we didn't kind of use, well, I think, what a lot of modern radio now does. It uses the audience to actually get, um, they become the entertainers, if you know what I mean. We say, hey, has this happened to you? Give us a call, type thing, mm. um, where we, we really didn't do that. We went the other way. We created comedy and created uh, characters and and basically said, here, here we are, yeah. Was Kim and Corbett your dream goal to end up being on a breakfast show, biggest show in New Zealand? Or No, not really. No, my goal has always been um, I enjoyed being a, um, a content director or a program director, which I was in a couple of stations at Hauraki and also at 89FM. Um, but once again, I was relatively new at that. But that was my goal, really, It was, was making... Um, I love music, uh, you know, from a, um, an old band, a high school band background. And that was the reason I got into radio was because of um, music. I love music. But also, um, yeah, I think it was just being a programmer was re- really where I wanted to be uh, or a producer. I loved my time being um, a producer for Kevin Black. And in in a funny way, on the Kim and Corbett show, I was kind of that person. I was the person who ran the panel Corby was uh, the number one uh, presenter. You know, he had the comedy, he had those skills. Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, a listening producer or an active producer, if you like. Um, we looked at it, I suppose, a little bit like a game of tennis. I would serve the ball up, serve it to Corby, he would flick it back. I'd then go back to him again, and he'd smash it away for a winner. And it was kind of this tennis game that we played. Um, so therefore... When more and more people joined the the breakfast show, like Hilary Barry came along initially as a newsreader, and then we wanted more of her input, and uh, and that meant I had to step back a little bit um, because too many talking heads. So I suppose in a way I became a sort of a um, uh, not quite so dominant on the show, and then of course when we had Paul Ego, uh, he had his characters as well. Um, once again, it was a little bit of a process of me stepping back and just making sure that um, the show flowed. And yeah, that would, was. Would yeah. you always be the first one to put your hand up and say, "I'll step back a little bit so other people"? Yeah, well, I think I just did it automatically. It wasn't something that I said, "Hey, I'm going to step back, guys." It was just I just felt, as a producer, too many talking heads can confuse people, uh, and I just took a, a back, a slightly you know back seat, and um, yeah, and it was different. The show was different. 
Um, and it did evolve. Uh, initially, it was just Kim and Corbett, and then it kind of went to a bigger crew. And then when Hillary and Paul were taken away from us later on down the track, um, we had to go back together again and just create and recreate the show. Mm. Yeah. What were those final years of Kim and Corbett like? With um, Hillary and Paul had gone, was yep. it fun just being back to you and Corbett, or did you miss having those extra people? I think we you definitely missed having those extra people. I think, but um, we had to reinvent ourselves. Breakfast radio is is takes up so much um, material. Um, and Corby and I worked quite differently. Corby would kind of do his work in the evening and turn up a little later where I'd go into work maybe at 4.15 um, and and do my stuff in the morning, read papers and have a look at the internet and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, we worked slightly differently together, but it, it gobbled up a lot of, of information we needed to have. And... When they disappeared, when Hillary and Paul disappeared, it was it was like, hey, back to back to square one again. We had to reinvent ourselves, and that's something radio breakfast radio has to do all the time. You have to reinvent yourself. You create um, what we call sort of like um, benchmark games and competitions. Which one of them, which was Battle of the Sexes, we couldn't get rid of. <laughs> we tried, and 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 people just loved it. So we had to sort of reinvent it. Battle of the X's, battle of you know what I mean. We had to change things all the time. Um, but I think the key was having having our competitions at a certain time of day, so people knew that when this was on, hey, I've got ten minutes to get the kids to school, or when this is on, on the buses outside. You know what I mean. So it was important to actually have a roadmap. But at the same time, change things around. A slight bit of consistency so people feel totally. comfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. So would you say that when you went into Kim and Corbett, you didn't really know what the formula would be, but by the end you had that formula? Yeah, so when when we were first put together, um, we sat down, I was had a plan, and, we, and it's quite interesting being a, a duo. You kind of talk to each other and say, "What's acceptable? What would you?" T-? I was a married man with kids. Corby was single at the time, so <laughs> it, it it added two quite different lifestyles, and we had to be careful we didn't sort of step on our privacy, if you know what I mean. Mm. So we talked about what we would talk about in terms of um, you know, talk about the kids, the wife, all that sort of stuff, um, and that was important when we set up initially. But what the best part was, we actually went on air for several weeks, a couple of months, I think, um, before we actually turned the transmitter on. So we were doing the breakfast show, getting up, doing it for weeks before we actually were happy with what we what we were doing. And then they turned the transmitter on and we came on. And I think um, it may be still a record, but for a new radio station, we came on with about 10, 10 points and was the highest um, debuting station in Auckland because we had our act together. It wasn't like we're... Found, you know, floundering around looking, <laughs> looking for that sound. Yeah, you weren't trying to find it. You weren't going on after two days no, or a week. No, no, no. We we, we kind of nailed it within a. Uh, it would have been a couple of months, I think. But then that's yeah. I don't think that's ever been done before. Yeah, at, or at that time. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think people these days have that much time to prepare for a show. No, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, today Firm's a great example of that. They sort of threw that to, through, you know, put that on here pretty quickly, hmm. and I think it shows. Yeah, but do you think that'll eventually evolve into something that'll be a quality product? I once hope. Well, get their yes. I think time is the time is the thing. Hmm. You know, now we we um, with the pressures of um, business, uh, I think radio is pushed to get to its maximum quality as you know as quickly as possible and 
look, it takes time for listeners to get used to you, and and it takes time for you to sort out a winning formula. Yeah, you, you can't, you know, you can't uh, it, put it this way. You have to do it a lot more faster than we did way back in the, in the <laughs> 80s and 90s. I feel like that's a pretty common theme around the world. Yeah. Everything's yeah. just gotten faster. It, exactly. Yep. Happens so quickly now. <laughs> you mentioned before you and Corby sitting down and talking about things and not wanting to step on each other's personal lives. Yep. Were yep. there any rules that you had for things you couldn't talk about? There was yeah, there was basically, look, above and below the line story, things that we talked about. I mean, obviously, we didn't want to uh, get each other, um, Yeah, put it this way, um, I was with Corby for nearly 20 years. Probably actually over twenty years, um, sixteen years together, looking face to face like I am with you now every morning, you know, for twenty years. Um, so, yeah, you've got to develop a um, there's a rapport, obviously, and you've got to develop a kind of like a serious set of rules. And look, very rarely did we step over them. A couple of times, Corby caught me out, which was fantastic, actually, because normally we would talk about what we're doing going into the break and, and things like that. But a couple of times he held, he held it back, and it was really funny because to get the effect, hmm. you want surprise. You can't, you know, you can't manufacture that. So that was quite cool. But yeah, um, we did discuss, yeah, and have kind of a plan of what we could talk about. Yeah. So you never really felt offended by anything he said to you? No, look, not not at all. Um, um, no, I think um, I have great respect for Corby, his creativity. Um, you know, it was like um, funny man, straight man. That's, that's how it was. Um, uh, so I could, like, if I went into the studio uh, after the show, I could create some funny things. But um, I was not that spontaneous. I'm dyslexic. So that is a barrier to um, to being a little bit creative, I find, especially speaking, because I'm thinking, is that the right word? God, you know what I mean? Am, am I saying? So generally I would be um, just pretty basic English, you know what I mean, where Corby was quite creative and, and uh, yeah, he knew his stuff. I guess he was good. His English degree would help there as well. It certainly would. <laughs> with mine, yeah, I don't think I ever got over 30 in English anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was lucky. <laughs> so the way um, Kim and Corbett ended, or at least your experience yep. with Breakfast Radio, was a bit unfortunate. Did you want to just take us through that? Sure. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I would I would put it like it was a uh, a slow divorce. It's very hard. Um, so basically, what happened was it was it came out of left field. Obviously, the the powers that be decided that um, I was to be let go. Um, and they phoned around, phoned Corby on a Sunday night and said, hey, we're going to have a meeting with Kim tomorrow, and it's all over. Um, and so he got on the phone straight away, 8 o'clock, and said, hey, tomorrow, shit's going to hit the fan somewhere along the line. And so I went in and I thought, oh, what am I going to do? And I think initially Hillary and Corby came and we chatted before, and I said, um, I'm not going to go on here. No, it's just, it's too much. And so I stayed off here. In fact, I think all three of us didn't go on here and our producer had to go on and do the show. Because I just thought, no, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not really prepared for this. And it's totally out of the blue. And they should have just fronted up to me and, and said, hey, Kimbo, time's up. We've got to discuss how we're going to end the show type thing. And that would have been fine. But to sort of come around the back door was a bit hard. So... 
We had the meeting and basically they said the Kim and Corbett show would come to an end um, at some stage soon. The con- my contract ran through to the end of the year. And um, so, you know, once once we'd, we'd decided that it was all over, um, Corby and I got together and we said, okay, well, let's have a let's have a a way of going out. We might as well, you know, plan and over the next three months and say, right, this is how we're going to go out. We'll find some best of all this and that, and, and fine. But unfortunately, what happened was um, I was offered another position in the company. And that I said, well, Blackie is gone now, but one was to replace Blackie on, on solid gold or produce him, be his producer again. And I went, I'd rather I'd be his producer. I don't want to get rid of Kiwi. I don't want to take his place. So um, that was fine. And so at least I knew I had somewhere to go um, and I wasn't just being sort of kicked out. But something happened in, in the a few weeks down the track and they came back to me and said, no, we don't have a job for you any longer. So you are, you know, you're finishing. And that was unfortunately at a, at a restaurant, I was told that. No opportunity to really <laughs> get angry. So I got up and walked out and never went back to the radio station. That was it. Wow. And Kim and Corbett ended. Never went back for your things? No. Nothing? No. Wow. Walked out. Was it hard to keep a fun breakfast morning radio show going oh. when you knew you had that death sentence over you? Absolutely. It was like, you know, Corby and I couldn't look at each other for a while until we, until we sorted it out. It was really hard. Um, yeah, really, really hard. Um, but once we decided we would go out and, and, and uh, go out in style, if you like, um, it was fine. We were okay until then they came back with me and said that, you know, hey, your job is not. It's not going to happen. So I went, hey, this is, nah, it's not right. Was it hard to talk to Corbett afterwards? Because more of him ended up keeping him on and replacing yeah. you. Was it hard to talk to him? Well, yeah, yeah yes and no. It, look, it, you look back and, you know, radio is a very small industry. Um, and initially, yeah, I did get in touch with a lawyer and um, all that sort of stuff went on. Um, I'm not going to go into that, but um, it did happen. And I initially was quite angry about it all. But look, you get over that and you realize that um, it is a small industry. And I'd been working in it for over 40 years. So what am I going to do? So obviously I went to the radio school, which was uh, a chance meeting with uh, Peter McElwain. Peter and I met in, um, in a supermarket and he said, you look, you've been along as some guests. Would you like to come and work as a lecturer? And I went, yeah, well, hey, I've got nothing else on. <laughs> Might as well. So that started my um, so-called career in, in um, at the radio school. But um, yeah, once again, it's a small industry. You've just got to get over it and move on. Um, that you know, shit happens. When asked um, how you and Corbett stay together for so long, you were, have been quoted saying, from my point of view, I am probably Jeremy's biggest fan. That's the only way to describe how I feel. And I mean, there are too many egos in this industry. Is that still something you stand yeah, by? Absolutely, absolutely. It's It was funny. I mean, we did a hell of a lot of silly and, and fun things together in our private lives. We, we you know, Corby would come away with the family for, for um, school holidays and things like that. Um, we had a great time. And it's something, I suppose, if, if you're kind of thrown together as a duo, 
Um, nowadays, um, kind of a lot of breakfast shows are manufactured, if you like. You sort of, you go with you, you go over there, and off you go. It's like Tetris. Yeah, exactly. But, but I think with us, we were lucky. We had got to know each other because we'd worked together before, and we kind of knew, you know, what, we're, uh, what we, we were into, and no, it was cool. It was cool. What would you say, some of your, apart from the ending, that was probably your biggest low light from Kevin Corbett, what were some of the highlights, things you have fond memories of? Half of it I can't remember now, <laughs> isn't it funny? Because radio, every, there's something, and what I like about radio is it's so exciting. There's new things happening every day, mm. whether it's interviews with people, whether it's just feedback from the audience, whether it's just fun around the office. So many things. Um, Right now, I can't think of any any highlights. It was all fun. Mm. It was, really was. I don't regret a, a, a thing. Um, yeah, we had. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken a long time. Yeah, you think about twenty years of fun. Yeah, there's a lot. A lot happened. You worked for, under a very seemingly easygoing boss who wasn't afraid to push around some money. Corbett was saying. Yeah, Larry. Larry, Larry was fantastic. He was um, a, an amazing boss. He. I think he looked after the staff as well as he looked after his top clients because it was all about building a, a family. And um, I know that people talk about um, uh, radio stations as brands, but we weren't a brand. We were a family. We were, you know, really a, a tight group of people who wanted to work there, loved working there, and, um, and we got rewards. We got paid well and also we got treated well. And I love the free stuff. And I, that's the biggest <laughs> thing I miss about radio was, where's the free stuff? Um, it's Yeah. So he was fantastic. Um, and, of course, I worked with Larry later on at the radio school. So we've been working together for over 30 years. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Do you still keep in touch with people from the old Moore FM or Radio Hauraki days? <sighs> um, look, it's funny. Radio is, is um, an interesting industry. You have a lot of what I call colleagues hundreds of colleagues that you work with over the years, um, and you have probably one or two friends in the industry. And uh, sure, I've got lots of people I can say hi to and, and catch up and have old times, but there's not a lot of friends that I would consider that are still mates in radio. There's probably one or two, um, like the likes of Jimmy and Carol and Stuart, who got me into radio. I'm, we're, we're still good friends. And, you know, uh, there's a few mates that I have worked with that I would consider to be friends, but not a lot. Mm. Mm. Would you ever go back into producing or hosting, or is that switch just gone in your brain? Yeah, now? look, I think I've, I've hung up the headphones. It was um, a bit of a traumatic time, and um, to be honest, this is the first time in a long, long time, probably nearly 20 years, 15 uh, that I've actually put a headphone on and talked to someone on a microphone. Yeah, I said I wouldn't do it again. Yeah, yeah, no, I do remember a while. It's, yeah. it's taken. It's taken a little bit to get this interview. It going, certainly but... has. I've put this off so many times. In fact, I've told you, no, I'm not doing it. No, I'm not bothering. But hey, hey, it is what it is. It yeah. is what it is, and I'm glad yeah. we finally have the opportunity to sit down and yeah. um, have this interview. So thank yeah. you very much. No, it's cool. Did was it hard switching from? being the person behind the microphone to then tell, teaching others how to be that person? Um, not really. Um, lots and lots of different skills you learn along the way. And, of course, um, the good thing about radio school is you can make all your mistakes here. And, you know, we've, we've made them all. We've, done, we've you know, 
God, so many mistakes I've made over the years. Um, and that was on live radio. But um, you can do them here. And it's great. No, it's a good, it's a good way of getting into the industry, I think. Um, make mistakes here. And then when you're ready, you can go out and, and you know. Make slightly less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll always make a few, few muck-ups. Of course. Mm. We are all human at the end of the day. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you could do things in your career different, would you have done them different? Do you regret anything from your career? Not just Kim and Corbett, before that as well? Yeah. I think the biggest regret, to be honest, is um, through that, well, through my radio career, um, it's been a lot of fun uh, in my early years. When I became a father and um, had a family, th- I didn't have a lot of time with them because I was doing breakfast. So when they were young, um, they the two boys basically were, uh, I wasn't around. And it was really up to Jane to, uh, to be there all the time. And then I had a recording studio as well. So I didn't get home sometimes till six or seven at night for, for quite a few years. Definitely through the years when the kids were young. So, yeah, I, f- I feel like I've um, missed out a lot of their childhood. Um, and now they're adults. I'm trying to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only thing you change? You yeah, think? yeah. In terms of um, the radio industry, uh, it's been fun, you know. Um, I've enjoyed the technology, the change in technology, starting off playing vinyl records through to, you know, tapes, through cart machines and bits and pieces, when DVDs came along and then finally hard drives and, you know, now digital, um, you know, it's great. It's It's been a fun um, industry to be in and I've really enjoyed the, the changes. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Do you preach having a person, especially on a breakfast show, um, who has a young family, do you preach that as a warning to people to keep family? Yeah, I think it's important that you um, you try and spend as much time. Don't get me wrong, we, we spent time away, like in holidays and things like that, and we did a lot of traveling, but um, yeah, it's just the day-to-day, I missed a lot. Um, I know that my oldest son has, an, I'm now a granddad, and he is spending uh, a lot more time with his child. And um, it's great to see. It's, you know, it's different. It's something I never did, and um, I, I can see I missed a lot. Yeah, yeah. If Cumin Corbett was on the air today, how different would it be to what it was, do you think? Um, hmm. I think I think we, we enjoyed doing what we did. I think... Um, it would be probably the same, um, although we'd have to change certain things, obviously. But no, I actually really enjoyed that that style of radio. I think it was entertaining, and I think a lot of radio stations now are become have become jukeboxes with um, just little bits of fluff in between songs. You know, it, it's not quite the same. Um, and people's um, listening habits are different, and you now have the opportunity to have your own playlist. But to me, local radio is what it's all about. You know, you want to be part of the community. You want to be. You want to know what's going on, um, and that's why I think radio, local radio, is 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 great. Network radio can be a little bit uh, bland. Is there anyone on the airwaves at the moment who you think has a similar energy to what you and Corbett had? Well, I think yeah, I think it's changed a wee bit, but I think I'm I'm really. I really love to hear um, some of our graduates on air, and there's one or two that are on air that have been on air, uh, and a couple of them are on George FM at the moment. Um, 
and also on the edge. Look, I just think, uh, I think they sound they sound fantastic. I am um, yeah. It's I think yeah. Uh, they sound great, and I think that. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think how, how you phrased your question. <laughs> I am very happy that they're on air. They're, they're different from what we would have been. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been starstruck by anyone you've interviewed before? Oh, lots. <laughs> I'm, I was embarrassing, to be quite honest. Um, a fun time that Corby and I did have, which I've just thought about, was when we went to L.A. as the guest of Fox Television, and we interviewed probably about 30-odd of their um, top uh, television stars and movie stars. And we were known as the radio guys because everyone else was um, from television. Mm. And what happened was most of the uh, actors would sit in a chair for best part of a day and be interviewed by numerous amount of um, um, interviewers, you know, from different countries, from different stations. And they were bored to tears. <laughs> so Corby and I came along Normally at the end of the day, we were the last to get the interview. And in most cases, we expected to be, you know, like, oh, God, here we go again. But Corby had a fantastic uh, way of breaking the ice. So I would stand next to the star with a microphone and Corby would sit um, on a chair and we'd have two microphones. He'd have one and I'd have one. Um, And we had this great little intro uh, thing and a lot of the stars really enjoyed the the in, the interview, and would leave laughing and having a good time. Um, so the head of Fox uh, at the time, um, their PR department said, "Look, we've noticed that the stars are um, are really happy, and, and and when they leave the room, when you know you're last, normally they you know want to get out of here. So they said, would you turn around and do the first interview?" And break the ice, and so we changed, and suddenly, <clears throat> cameramen stayed, and we had a we had a little posse, if you like, a little group of people who used to laugh and applaud when we did our radio show, and um, and that was absolutely awesome. But I did, yes, I mean, interviewing certain people, I was uh, William Shatner was hilarious, uh, Kiefer Sutherland was hilarious. They, yeah, I was starstruck, basically, yeah. And the most embarrassing thing for me was. I used to get very sweaty under the arms, like I am now. Um, and a lot of photos that would show up and you'd see this horrible. <laughs> when I met Meryl Streep and we, we interviewed her and, um, oh, Lord. It, so I used to have to go into Photoshop <laughs> and change it all. So, yes, I was I was starstruck and I was, um, yeah, very nervous. <laughs> Got old Photoshop. <laughs> Oh, good times. <laughs> Did you ever have any blunders while interviewing people? Oh, I've, yeah. I've heard the story of the tape recorder <laughs> stopping halfway through. Yeah, that happened a few times. With new technology, I think um, the mini disc had come out, and we were normally using a real, real tape recorder. Um, and then mini disc came out. It was, hey, it's smaller and you know more compact. But it had a problem where if you did a test recording, and hit pause if you had hit play again it might not necessarily go into record the way that you wanted it to so we did a, quite a few interviews um because you could still hear what was going on but you couldn't actually physically see very well if it was recording if you know what i mean mm. and yeah we had lots of interviews we had like 10 seconds five seconds 
<laughs> we had a couple of interviews that just, you know, it was a waste of time. What do you do in that situation? Just keep going, smooth, <laughs> smile, and then get back to the station and go, damn. <laughs> Figure out what to do. Yeah, in fact, we, I think on air we did we did say this is what we got from the interview, and we would we'd play it on air. We'd say, "Hey, this is we stuffed up. Have a listen to this," <laughs> which could also would create funny moments as well. So technically, it's Abs- not a complete loss. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now looking back to when you were first getting into radio and your love of music, who was your inspirations? Who were you, who inspired you? I think I'm a real commercial animal. I loved commercial radio in terms of um, I was pretty much mainstream. If if you had a pop hit, I I loved you. Uh, and I listened to pop music all the time as a kid. I used to, um, my dad made me a crystal set and I used to listen to Radio Haraki um, out on the boat. And I was in Dunedin, living in Dunedin, so I had a crystal set. So it was only at night, quite late at night, that I could tune in. Um, and then I used to listen to 3ZM in um, Christchurch. And on the weekends, they used to have this top 100. So I was really much into just pop music, full stop. Um, and the band I was in, we did we were a covers band. So really, whatever was going at the, at the, at the current you know, time, what was popular, we played. Mm. And that's what really got me into radio. Yeah. What inspires you today? Is it still the same? Same, absolutely. I, I still program about three different... Um, uh, genres of radio from rock to pop to um, yeah, to a video channel. And yes, I still, I think for me it's melody. It's You've got to have a melody, um, and if it's catchy, it'll be a hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aside from um, working at the radio school and lecturing the next generation of hopeful potential <laughs> yeah. radio stars, yeah. are you still involved in the industry at all? Um, I'm a, a judge for the radio industry, but um, and that's quite cool. Um, so whenever the radio awards come out, I normally get a, a handful of um, uh, awards to judge, which is which is cool. Yeah, I've been doing that for the last maybe ten years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Mm. So I guess uh, people should reach out if they want your vote. Exactly. <laughs> so hey, <laughs> next time they see me, shout me there. You never know. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> what do you do in your free time these days? Uh, free time is um, a bit of fishing. Um, I've got, unfortunately, I've got a studio at, at home, which I find myself sitting in front of. I've got uh, archives up the yin-yang. I've got so much stuff I need to digitize. Um, and I'm just slowly working on that. So unfortunately, I finish here at the school and then go home and sit in front of a screen probably for another four or five hours uh, doing stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, just little projects, mm. you know, but um, I'm enjoying doing that. You say unfortunately, but it is something you enjoy. I love it. It is a passion. I love so. it. So, but, it, but it's a little bit sort of um, a wee bit boring when you think about it. You're in a screen, in front of a screen most of the day here and then um, go home and that's what happens, you know. Pretty <laughs> boring. But it's, hey, it's what I like. Mm, yeah, exactly. Do you have a favorite joke from Corbett? <sighs> or just favorite funny memory? Um, I have, look, I've got so much, <laughs> it's so hard to find something that I can single out. Corby would, but, um, I can't. No, I can't. Fair enough. Um, oh, funny, <laughs> funny story I heard once was, uh, you and Corbett in a wedding type photo. With oh. Apparently. <laughs> yes. Four weddings and a funeral. We, we had that movie to open and yes, there was one. Unfortunately, I was the bride. <laughs> And my poor mother. 
<laughs> I think I look a little bit like her, but anyway. <laughs> yes, yes. There is a postcard somewhere around here in this building. I think I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> do you collect anything? Yes, I do. I'm terrible. I'm a, I am a hoarder. I collect equipment. Um, I collect old um, um, uh, military stuff. I collect. I used to collect stamps. Yeah, I was a bit of a yeah a collector. A vinyl. I had a vast um, vinyl. I think I had over ten thousand albums at one stage, but I've gradually whittled them down to maybe three or four thousand. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, CDs. I've got hundreds and hundreds of CDs. Yeah, it's time for a time to get rid of them all. And uh, around the radio school, there's a bunch of old radio memorabilia. Yes. That's quite cool, I would have that's, Yeah, that's uh, my pr- little private collection. I've been collecting that over the years, all of the different... Um, and it's funny, radio, that's one thing I'd love to organise is, is kind of like a, a, not a hall of fame, but a place where um, you could come and listen and, and look at all of the old uh, radio lineups. And there's plenty. We're 100 years old now in New Zealand. Yeah broadcasting and uh, so that's a little challenge for me to pursue is to try and find home for some of this memorabilia yeah <laughs> a permanent home yeah what was your favorite radio show or hosts of all time um i think if you go back early days um keith ashton was um, a guy that i used to work with he was a breakfast host he was pretty amazing at the time um there was a couple of announcers on one ZH, uh, when I was working in Hamilton, um, uh, I, can't, I can't think of their, their names right now, but um, they, they, they were quite an influence on me. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. There's there's a few through the years. Blackie, of course. Uh, I worked with Phil Gifford and um, John Hawksby as a part of the team, and, and they were pretty amazing to work with. Um, yeah. Is radio a young man's game these days? Yes, it is. And that's part of the industry tends to get rid of the old guys. It's, it's a bit of a shame. We, we get marched out and um, marched out to pasture. And we have so much uh, knowledge that a lot of us don't have a chance, like I have, I'm lucky, to, to pass on the information to people and pass on their, their knowledge. Um, and that's one thing about Radio Year. It's, it's, it uses, it churns out a few... Um, or churns, uh, can I say, eats up a lot of young people in the industry. Um, and I think a lot of uh, young people get into the industry uh, and either they stick or they don't, you know what I mean? I think there's, there is quite a big casualty rate initially. Mm-hmm. But if you love the industry and you enjoy what, you know, what you're doing and you hang in there, you'll uh, you'll get through that period of time. Yeah. Definitely a make or break point. There say. is, yeah, yeah. Um, you know... You can you can spot people with talent um, at the radio school pretty quickly who you know who want who want to be in the industry, and generally I'd say nine times out of ten they're the ones that make it through that they hang in there and and that's where what they wanted to do you know what they want to be. Would you say that's different to how it was back in your day? Well, in our day, we we kind of trained on the job. We were hired. Um, you'd go in and you'd apply for the job, and and uh, and you would actually be taught on the job. So it was it was slightly different. You know, you learnt from your mistakes, and you hoped the mistakes you made weren't that big enough to get you fired. <laughs> sort of just fly by the seat of your pants and hope. Totally. Yeah. 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 
And what's your coffee order? Are you a coffee person? Um, yeah, look, I used to, uh, when I was doing the breakfast show, I used to have probably six, seven coffees a morning. Oh. Terrible. I was just, you know, woo. Um, Live wire. Absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and when I produced Kevin Black, we used to have a glass of champagne every morning before the show. And it did work. Boy, we were, we were firing, but just, you know. Um, so, yes, coffee. Um, I do only have one coffee a day now. Yeah. Yeah, I still enjoy my coffee. Cut back. <laughs> Absolutely. God, I used to fly, yeah. Do you need all the coffee to keep up with Corbett? Well, it's, yeah, I think it's the adrenaline rush. It's a performance. You know, you are a performer on air, and I think you need something to get you going. And certainly a, a coffee in the morning was, was pretty good. Um, and the other thing is if you had a hangover or something like that, you just had to forget about it. it it's like, you know... That was when you walked into the door, into the building, um, forget about it, and you can have a hangover again when you leave, you know what I mean? Just leave the outside world at the totally. door. Totally, yep. If you had to give a younger version of yourself some advice, what would you say? Ne- just never say no. Never, never. If someone offers you something on or um, says, can you do this, go, yeah, I can do that, and and fake it to make it because... Yeah, you don't get many chances, and I think I was lucky. Um, it was more down to who I knew, not what I knew, and being dyslexic also was a real challenge. I mean, I was um, when I joined uh, Radio Waikato, um, Bob McNeil, who was a reporter on TV3, Bob, I think was the news editor at the time, and um, I didn't realise that when I did the drive show, I was had to read news. <laughs> So on my first day, Bob came in, I think it was Bob, Bob came in and gave me um, a news to read, and I ad-libbed my way through it, and I'd say ad-libbed. At the end of it, he came through and said, you're not going to read news again? I said, thank <laughs> God. I said, and there was a sign put up, Kim Adamson must never read news on this station again. And and it was a, it was a good thing, mm. because the journalists had to start reading news, and, and before that, the announcers did. So it started, um, you know, the journalists having to read their own news, which was fantastic. Great experience. <laughs> I got off the hook. God, it was appalling. <laughs> Would you also give that advice to someone wanting to get into the radio and media industry as well? Just yeah. say yes and go just, for just it. Just go for it. And look, if you have a passion for it, um, don't let no, because I, I got told I wouldn't you know, when I first applied at, at Forex, so I did a um, a commercial, and they said, "Read this." I, it was appalling. Um, I struggled to read it. I had I, when I read things, I have to read it time and time again and virtually memorize it. Um, I'm a lot better now, but it still it still comes back to me. You know, and thank God for uh, spell check and things like that. <laughs> but yes, um, you know, never say never say no. Just if they say, "Can you do this?" Go, yeah, I can do that. No worries. <laughs> give it a go. Now that you've been in the box and on the show, who else would you want to hear? Would you want to hear some older voices or some younger up-and-comers? Yeah, look, look, I think a mix. I think, I think it's important that we, um, we definitely hear from youngsters or younger people who are in the industry and how they are coping with the, the current um, stresses of the, of, the, of the industry. Because, as I said, when I started, I, it was one job. I had a, a job being an announcer or a job being a producer. Um, now you have to have multiple roles to survive in the industry now. Um, you, you might have to do breakfast, be an ops manager, be integration and, and be promos. So that's three or four people's job all wrapped up into one. So, yeah, you, you, know, you have to be multi-talented now and, and it's changed. 
Kim, thank you so much for finally agreeing and coming in and sitting down for an interview with me. You're welcome. Thank you very much.